While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back later in the week, um, but I'm here till 10, taking your calls at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get on. We may be joined by Congressman Bill Keating later. Uh, if not, we'll be joined by him sometime uh, soon, um, but uh, might be tonight. So uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Um, and tomorrow, actually, we have a uh, having a uh, special guest host, Jared Valenzola. He's the uh, you might have heard him on Justice Show. Uh, if you haven't tuned into Justice Show every Saturday, one to four, my old slot. Um, she's done a great job with it. And uh, Jared's one of the uh, she's had Jared into co-host with her a couple times. And uh, I, I happen to think he does a good job. You know, we had Sheriff Hodgson, former Sheriff Hodgson in um, for the uh, for his guest co-host. A lot of people liked it. Um, and so it'll mix it up. Right. And so, uh, Jared Valenzuela is going to be in tomorrow. Uh, then we'll, we'll be joined by, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, what'll be interesting about that is the, um, mass GOP vote is going to take place, I believe, uh, for Jim Lyons. Now, if you listen to Jess's show, if you listen to Howie Carr, I'm sure you've heard a lot about that saga, the struggle for leadership in the mass GOP. I think they've actually, uh, Jess and Howie have actually really gotten ahead of that um, because it's really picking up. It's really picking up now uh, statewide, but, and it's been sort of in some statewide headlines, but I really feel like Jess and Howie really got at the, got in the front of that story. Um, partly because, you know, I think they're, particularly passionate about it. Um, but, uh, so we're, I'm looking forward to that. That'll, that'll, that'll be interesting. We'll be able to, I'm sure Jess is going to be there live tweeting it or giving updates. And if she is, we're, we're going to track it. We'll track that for you. I'm, I know that there's a lot of Republicans in this audience, uh, that may be interested to see how their, their party leadership's going on forward. But I'm interested in talking to Jared in general. He's a Plymouth County commissioner. We can talk about some of the work that, uh, he's done and just kind of, uh, chat about the issues of the day. Um, so that'll be uh, good. And just a preview, Chris and I are going to be talking with Mayor Mitchell on Wednesday. Uh, the The crux of our conversation is going to be about the uh, ongoing saga between, you know, Mitchell and the Voke Tech administration, I guess the city council on the um, Voke Tech admissions policy. So we'll talk more about that uh, as, it go, as it goes on. No city council meetings this week. So... Um, I think the next one's next uh, Thursday for the full uh, for the full uh, council meeting. So, you know, next Thursday we'll obviously we're going to have um, we're going to have the bass attack in, but we've got a really good uh, slate of shows ahead for you this week. And um, 
We'll, it'll be fun. But I'm here with you tonight at 508-996-0500. One of the things I thought was interesting, I was reading an article, a really good piece uh, on the Boston Globe, and it's you know got me looking at some other stuff. But uh, there's a really good article in the Boston Globe by um, by uh, Larry uh, Larry Edelman and Ryan Huddle. I wonder if he's related to Julian. My guess is no. And he probably gets it all the time. That's probably an annoying question for him. I don't know him at all, but that's probably something he gets all the time. Hey, you related to Julian Edelman? If he is, I think that's cool. Uh, if he isn't, I mean, oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, 508-996-0500, also taking your message in the WBSM app chat. So there's some interesting data in that article on the Globe that just basically talks about how the Massachusetts economy has recovered from the COVID-19 pandemic um, and what is left to do to fully recover because there hasn't been a full recovery. But it looks like Massachusetts is pretty much on the up and up, um, but there still needs to be really some dramatic changes in the workforce in order to maintain or to in order to get back to where they were before. Now, I have an article that, that was just posted on WBSM.com. You can check out um, the it's uh, a, a report by the the uh, the executive office of administration and finance. Uh, the secretary is uh, Matthew Gorsowitz and uh, it was issued by him. Um Senate Ways and Means Chair Michael Rodericks, who's obviously from Westport and a friend of the show, uh, House Ways and Means Chair Aaron Michaelwitz from Boston, uh, and the Ways and Means, you know, if you don't know what the Ways and Means um, Committee is, it's really the, I'm going to say the most powerful committee in the in the State House. I feel like it is, um, because, not I feel like it is. It is because they write the budget, right? They write the budget. So they, they approve all, all, all the spending, right? So it's an incredibly, it's, it's the most powerful committee, I think. Um, so they issued a report saying that Massachusetts is expected to see about $40 billion in tax revenue for the fiscal year of 2024. Now that is a 1.6% increase from where they were last year. They were about $39 billion last year. And... They're expecting an extra um, one one billion in revenue that will be available in this uh, this coming fiscal year. So we're in fiscal year twenty three. That will go until about July. Well, not about July. July first is supposed to be the start of the new fiscal year. So June thirtieth is the last day of fiscal year twenty three, and so July is the would be the beginning of fiscal year twenty four. They're expecting a increase in tax revenue, and they're also uh, they're also uh, looking at an additional one billion revenue that'll be available in the next fiscal year because of the fair share amendment that was passed. Now the fair share amendment, we've talked about it a lot on this show. It passed in the ballot referendum. Uh, actually, all the ballot referendums passed except for the um, alcohol and beverages one, the alcohol and beverages license one. So um, there was the dental one. There's the uh, fair share amendment. And of course, the uh, fi um, uh, Work and Family Mobility Act, which is the driver's license bill for um, immigrants, regardless of their uh, legal status. So. Uh, they're expecting an extra billion in revenue from the fair share amendment. Uh, now, that's a for people who aren't familiar. 
it is a 4% tur uh, surtax on income over a million dollars. So the way it would work is you make a million dollars, that next dollar, and every dollar after that is going to have a extra 4% surtax. They're expecting another billion in revenue from that. And that's going to, what they, they're saying, what they're saying is they're going to, um, you know, use that for education and transportation reforms. Obviously transportation has been at the forefront of a lot of conversations that we've had. I've had people on to talk about it. Uh, you know, we, especially in light of, South Coast Rail coming at the end of the year, uh, the all the myriad um, issues with the MBTA, you know, the trains catching on fire and all of that, and what you know what they should do with the MBTA, which I think is an ongoing conversation. But uh, Governor Healy seems to be leaving all options on the table for that. Um, you know, reforming the MBTA. Obviously, the MBTA general manager had uh, had left. Uh, you know, can't say it's all his fault. I think the problems that have beleaguered the MBTA have happened for a while, but they're looking at making some, uh, I think some pretty robust changes to that system. But so obviously transportation is an area that they want to spend And education is always, I think in every town or city, one of the biggest budget items, if not the biggest budget item, a uh, single budgetary expenditure is on the school department. Now, some of that is going to be buttressed by the, uh, Student Opportunity Act, which New Bedford, I think, is expected to get about 25 to 27 million dollars extra from the state over the next seven years. There were some snags on the there were some snags on the initial funding of that. They said they were like missing out on three to five million at a certain point. Uh, you know, we'd had some uh, school administration heads uh, on on this program and on uh, on my old program on Saturdays to talk about that. Uh, I had Tony, you know, t I think I had Tony Cabral on to talk about it, but it's supposed to you know fund gateways communities like New Bedford um, the additional funding they need to, to to really build out their education department so education and transportation obviously always critical areas needed for spending so it looks like they are going to have a lot more revenue um, another interesting point I think what they said was the uh, this the um, the potential gross state product uh, is at 3.6 percent where it was last year, which indicates um, a long-term sustained economic growth. So um, obviously, you know, the state's going to probably see another surplus. They're expected to see another surplus, uh, I believe. They have the last few years. Um, they've used that surplus to, along with the money from the ARPA, Amer uh, the American Rescue Plan Act, to, um, you know, spend in some pretty critically needed areas like housing, healthcare, uh, education, um, you know, uh, economic development initi uh, initiatives such as like small business assistance and broadband uh, internet access, which is a big problem really out in Western Mass, uh, expanding broadband and internet access. It's also a problem in, in you know, uh, you know, more uh, communities with high levels of uh, of poverty as well, getting that internet access. But one of the things that they're saying is, you know, at the outset of the pandemic in March and April in 2020, when everything was basically and pretty unexpectedly shut down, Massachusetts employers had cut almost 700,000 jobs. Unemployment was at 17%. 
Um, it was less than 3% in Massachusetts. So 17% in Massachusetts, it was less than 3% in February of, 2020, uh, of, of 2020. It hasn't quite gotten, it's at 3.3% now. It hasn't quite gotten to where it was before, um, but it's getting pretty close. Last year, uh, which is really the first year um, that, last year's, which is really the first year that, um, that the economy was fully out of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, Massachusetts more or less fully opened early in the summer of 2021. Um, so, you know, it was around, it was expected to be in August. I remember that the economy was really, like everything was supposed to be open. Massachusetts was going to be open for business. Um, but then I think what happened was Rhode Island opened early, earlier than Massachusetts, right? So that was going to impact the Massachusetts economy quite a bit. And um, the Biden administration had started, uh, I think, um, accelerated their timetable for lifting COVID-19 restrictions, which uh, I think prompted the Baker administration to move their uh, openings up to, I want to say it was late May or mid-June. I can't fully remember which, it was either late May or mid-June that everything sort of fully opened up. But... Um, there's a lot more job postings now than there were prior to the pandemic. There's like 11,000 jobs a month. In 2019, there was 4,300 job postings a month. There's 240K job openings in Massachusetts uh, in, in, I think, November. 240,000 just in Massachusetts. The previous five years, uh, the monthly average of, of job openings was 150,000 uh, 150, jobs. Uh, 157,000. What they're saying is that's being basically what that indicates is that worker shortages are holding back economic growth. So worker shortages are holding back um, the the job postings that need to be filled. And there's a few reasons for that. So they, you know, the after those two brutal months, right, where everything was really in sort of disarray when no one really knew how to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic or how it was going to affect people. Um, And they're just getting a firmer grasp on that as, you know, now and as time goes on. But they, they, I think they had um, recouped more than half the jobs lost, but they were still like about 7,000 short of their pre-pandemic total. One of the reasons that one of the main reasons that job uh, the job postings are so available is the hospitality industry, right? The hospital, restaurant, fine dining, all that. Um, that's one in ten jobs that are available, and they're having the hardest time keeping people. Um, they're one of the reasons that they are. Well, basically, there's a hundred. I think there's over a hundred thousand people, fewer people in the labor force than there were. Um, prior to, which is, uh, I think, a 2.9% drop. And one of the reasons is uh, the accelerated retirement of, uh, you know, basically the baby boomer generation. I forget what Mayor Mitchell was on. We talked about that a bit, I think. You know, how that was affecting their their job posting. Um, you know, part of that was the pay, right? And we talked about that, I think, at length, uh, the pay increases that were needed. And part of that was because of retirements. It was called the silver, the silver wave, the silver something. Someone has that silver, the silver something. Just 
if you have it, if you remember what the exact term was, basically a lot of people are retiring. The baby boomers are retiring. And that's a problem for Massachusetts, interestingly enough, because Massachusetts has really doesn't have many young people. 18-year-olds only make up 20% of the, uh, the population in Massachusetts, which means it's in the bottom five of the, of the 50 states in the union. They're in the bottom five. So they, that means the labor force, it's going to be difficult to recover from that based on the fact that the, these demographics, you know, because the, the boomer generation's retiring and because the younger generation uh, doesn't exist as much as it does in other places here, in Massachusetts, um, you know, which would be obviously younger people are what, you know, what, you know, drives the job postings, people, you know, getting out into the workforce after age 18. I got my first job, I think at all these 15 or 16, 15 or 16 working at price, right over in ward three. That was my, uh, that was my first job. I, I was working in produce then they moved me to the front end, and then I was moving uh, shopping carts around. It gave me some good experiences, I think. You know, I think doing those jobs gives you good good experiences. But one of the one of the ways that Massachusetts needs to recover is an increase in legal immigration and immigration in general, because. Uh, you know, we talked about this actually with Congressman Keating a few months ago when Chris and I were talking to him. You know, he had dinner. He after he talked to us, he just had dinner with two senators, Chris Coons, I believe, from Delaware, Mark Warner from Virginia. And one of the things they were saying is they have a lot of jobs available, but not enough people to fill those jobs. And one of the one of the ways to fill those positions is to, you know, expand. Um, the pathways for legal immigration for residents to, uh, for people to get jobs, um, you know, and meaningfully enter the, uh, meaningfully enter the workforce. Obviously I don't have a ton of confidence that the, that Congress is going to act on that, act on that. I think until we get a Congress that's more, I don't know. I mean, you got to get a Congress that's more uniformly, more uniformly, for a certain, you know, expanding immigration pathways, which doesn't, that that's not the case now, or at the very least, a Congress that is willing to change the rules in which bills are passed in order to get them through Congress. One of the things that's, I think, really holding that up is, not that I think, one of the things that it is absolutely holding that up is that even if, and frankly, it's got to be a majority Democrat, Democratic Congress, right? Democrats are the only ones, I think, more so than Republicans, willing to move on immigration reform and 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 provide more legal pathways for people with immigration. I think we saw that during the Trump administration when Republicans had the levers of power and all and on you know and all the government um, that they weren't just you know the big thing was we're going to crack down on le you know illegal immigration, right? We're going to build a wall and do this and do that, right? But it wasn't, and they were saying, you know, we, we don't have a problem with people that just come legally, right? We don't have a problem with people that come legally. It's the people that come illegally. That's the issue. But we found, obviously, just based on the numbers, that 
they were severely limiting legal immigration too. Um, there were less green. There were fewer green cards. There were fewer uh, work visas for um, in a lot of situations. It seemed like they were less interested in expanding immigration, and I guess for one reason or another, keeping the demographics basically where they are now. Um, but the main jobs that need to be filled are in healthcare. Uh, Healthcare, hospitality, education, manufacturing, refinance, and retail. Education piece is interesting. I think in wake of the Woburn teacher strike, um, I don't know if you're uh, following that at all, but there's a uh, an actual teacher strike happening in Woburn, which is a violation of state law, but they're just going forward with it anyway, which will be, I think, I think will be pretty interesting to follow because schools right now in Woburn are shut down. Um, so, uh, I think there's been like 25 contract negotiations. They haven't been able to move anything through on that. And so, you know, you hope it's not a trend. Obviously we need the schools to be open, but it's a pretty, I think in in the immediate future, some pretty disastrous, uh, results. But one of the things that they need, they need registered nurses, retail, uh, retail salespersons, medical health service managers, and retail supervisors. Those are the jobs that need to be filled um, more um, immediately. And if you look at some of the the job postings, some of the jobs, the jobs that I I think are seeing a net growth um, by sector, and this is according to this Boston Globe article, there's construction is the highest. They're seeing a 7.6% increase in employment, um, professional science and business. uh, And maybe the construction has to do with the fact that ARPA is coming in and the bipartisan infrastructure law there's a lot more there's a lot more infrastructure projects there's a lot more things that need to be built uh so there's a lot more contracting jobs available that's obviously one of the main pitches for increased infrastructure spending and it's another reason why making more investments in infrastructure is important because it's not just that you know the roads will be more navigable especially in a state like massachusetts where you know we have the always among the top three in traffic congestion you know commuters up to boston lose something like three thousand in lost wages a year i think the boston economy itself loses nine billion um by not bringing the mbta into a state of good repair so but it also adds jobs and you can see that in construction 7.6 percent increase in construction there's a professional sciences um professional scientific and business um, obviously, Massachusetts is the hub of life sciences. If you didn't know, there is a um, there is a uh, you know life sciences is basically Boston is pretty much a global leader in life sciences and development and all of that. So there's a six point five entry, increase in those in those jobs. Wholesale trade is three percent, um, and then you you know uh, information is three point one percent. Administrative support um, is two point four percent, and then you start seeing where there's a decline. There's a point three percent decline in healthcare, point four percent decline in educational services, a point one point two percent decline in manufacturing, a point nine percent in finance and insurance, a four point one percent in retail trade. Uh, uh, and uh, leisure and hospitality is down at 8.5%. So that's really one of the things that's really hampering the economy. And so, and they're seeing in job postings, 
You're seeing uh, the most job postings are in general medical and surgical hospitals, college and university. Uh, that's 5,000 job postings last month. 3,000, the 66 total job postings in December, uh, 66,000 total job postings in December. Um, college and universities, 3,000. Elementary and secondary educational schools, uh, 2,800. Scientific research and development services, 2,100. Uh, insurance carriers, 19. Um, so... Uh, and then you even see health health and personal care services, 934. Um, so there's a, a professor a professor in economics at Boston College. They basically say wages must rise to lure workers to uh, to to these occupations. Again, we've seen that play out locally in the in the public sector, at least um, for those jobs that need to be filled uh, because New Bedford. Um, until recently had not kept up with the wage increases needed to fill those you know, really critical um, state government, I mean, uh, city government position, uh, uh, positions. But they're, you know, what this professor is basically arguing is workers have to be paid more to induce them to undertake higher risk occupations. So, um, you know, if you pay more, it's a, I guess it's a supply and demand thing, right? If you, because I, I think a lot of people were arguing while the pandemic was happening and while there were a lot of while there while there were a lot of um, job openings in general and there was some uh, extra employment assistance available, extra uh, government assistance available. And a lot of that has gone away. And, you know, actually, we're going to lose uh, uh, food stamps as well. They're going to there's going to lose an increase in food stamps as well. People are arguing, oh, it's because people can sit around and do nothing all day. But when, when they found that they were taking away a lot of that extra assistance, those jobs weren't being filled either. So people, for one reason or another, don't want to go to certain jobs. And it's because those jobs don't pay enough. So, again, it's, I think, a simple supply and demand issue if you want to um if you want to the you know if you want to uh increase the number of workers in the economy then employers have to wait uh raise their wages and especially now with um a lot of the economic angst that's been going on is with respect to inflation and all of that people aren't as willing to take uh jobs that pay less because it doesn't you know help them in any in any meaningful way. So until I guess employers boost wages and until we're able to diversify our workforce more by, um, you know, accepting more, um, you know, immigrant workers, then especially in Massachusetts where the younger population is so critically low, then we're going to continue to see a lot of job openings continue to be open basically. And so that was the findings uh, of that. And I thought it was really, uh, I thought it was really interesting. It seems like the Massachusetts economy is doing well. It's definitely rebounded, not fully rebounded. Cause I think it, um, again, un unemployment is about 3.3% where it was at 2.9% before, but 508-996-0500. Also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. This is South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus and uh, let's take a break. Marcus Farrow, uh, we're talking about sort of the economy, um, Massachusetts economy. Uh, there's also a teacher strike going on in Woburn that I think is really interesting. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me. Good evening. You're live. Hi, Marcus. Hey. Um, I have to appreciate you and Chris uh, covering the news, seeing as it's hard to get anything from the Standard Times. 
uh, as wide as that in the end that. But um, I did see an article that maybe you could comment on. Unfortunately, I misplaced the uh, Standard Times issue that had a half a page on um, changing the sequence of the uh, primaries in okay. um, New Hampshire's anger yes. of uh, possibly not being number one yes. anymore. Did you happen to see that article? I didn't see the article, that article in particular in the Standard Times. I will say, you know, um, yeah, the Standard Times, uh, a lot of the Gannett publications have definitely winnowed their coverage quite a bit. I do think Frank Mulligan's doing a really good job um, on uh, on politics. But, yeah, I agree. They, they're, they're not as expansive as All they right, certainly now, used to well, be. Do you have anything to say about that yeah, issue? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, so, so here's the thing. Uh, I think it's a good idea. <laughs> Honestly, um, it's you know, uh, obviously Chris Sununu uh, spoke out against that. He's the Republican governor uh, from uh, from New Hampshire. He spoke out against. He might be a candidate for president, though. Um, so we'll see. Tr Donald Trump was just up in New Hampshire. He spoke out against it, too. Um, the reason the Democrats want to do it is they want to start off with uh, primaries that more. I mean, the argument is they want to start off with primaries that have more diverse populations. And frankly, you know, if you pick up momentum in states like Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, you, you sort of get that lead. You get that air of like inevitability. And it's not necessarily a fair representation of the voting population um, by and large. I I, I support it. I, I think I don't know why a state like New Hampshire should have, un, you know, that type of undue influence on an election. Um, you know, I love New Hampshire. I, I, I visit there. You know, I've, I vacation there, you know, probably hundreds of times in my lifetime. But I don't necessarily think a state that small with a population less diverse than the rest of the um, than the rest of the, the, the country should really be the barometer of how a, a, a presidential candidate can play out in the in the general election. So, like, I, I mean, I support it. But the other really reason is and I think Chris Nunu said it really well. They want to start off with South Carolina. And of course, if you'll remember in 2020, uh, whose campaign heavily benefited from South Carolina? Joe Biden, right? And it was because of Jim Clyburn, who's a very, very powerful member in the Democratic uh, in the Democratic Party, often seen as a kingmaker, right? And so, you know, he made the point that this is basically done, being done um, to, you know, if it's if it's South Carolina that's first, this is basically being done to benefit. A sitting president, right, to benefit the electoral chances of a sitting president who there's been some speculation may face a primary challenge and a serious primary challenge in uh, in 2024. So I'm for it. But the way they're doing it seems pretty clear that they want to do it in a way that gives Joe Biden a much easier pathway to securing his nomination again. All right. Now, Marcus, how did this ever come to be that there was a sequence of which states would be first and which later in primary uh, actions. How did that ever come, that New Hampshire uh, top the bunch? That's a, I mean, that's a really good question. I haven't delved into the history of it. The other thing that's, I think, interesting is Sununu was, uh, was basically saying, you know, we're not going to let the Democratic Party tell us when we're going to vote in our state primary, right? So we're going to vote. We're going to have our, our state elections when we have them, and they can figure it out afterwards. So he seems intent on, and I'm sure New Hampshire will be too, intent on making their primary on that particular day, um, on uh, whatever it is, February or, you know, they usually have it in, I think, February or early March. So they seem intent on doing that. In, in terms of the history of it, I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, do you recall a, a few years back when uh, 
Some states said they did want to precede New Hampshire, and New Hampshire said uh, when we find out what those states are, we're going to precede them. <laughs> yeah, they might do that. I mean, that 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 could that could have that could happen. It's just like. You know, the thing is, is New Hampshire starts when, like, February, like I said, February, maybe March of 2020. So that's one of the first, you know, one of the earliest elections you can have. If someone were to put their primary in January, let's say, um, then, you know, you're looking at putting your primary in 2019. And, you know, people usually start organizing their campaigns uh, for president, start announcing either late you know, late going into the year before the election. So late into the odd years, like, so people are going to start organizing their campaigns actually now, right? You're going to start seeing people announce. In terms of uh, uh, garnering campaign finance, um, Mm. wouldn't it be better for them all to start early? Like California has a lot of money. New York, Florida has, have a lot of money. Um, Well, one of the things, when when did they come up? Aren't they usually, like California, one of the latest. California last time was a Super Tuesday state, so it was early March. They were part of a bunch of other states on uh, Super Tuesday, which is a collection of, like, I can't remember how many states. Massachusetts is a Super Tuesday state, and, too. And what is your feeling about how it affects campaign fundraising? I mean, I don't know, because Massachusetts, the thing is with um, the thing is with, with Massachusetts is Massachusetts is a one of the most uh have you know has one of the highest rate of donors a lot of people come to massachusetts for donors uh for for fundraisers every time you see a, a presidential candidate or a president uh, even uh come to massachusetts they usually stop at a fundraiser uh in boston or on martha's vineyard or nantucket uh ron DeSantis famously went to a five thousand dollar ahead fundraiser in nantucket last year um joe biden kamala harris have had fundraisers on the vineyard even in newport so new england in general is one of the highest fundraising bases in the country so i don't know if it I, I don't know what role that's going to I don't know what role that's going to play in it, but I, I think it certainly would play a role. Now, when Congressman Keating comes on, possibly tonight, what question can we be sure that you will ask, among others? Well, I want to ask him. You know, he's a you know he's an expert on what's going on in Ukraine, so I want to ask him about that. You know, ask him about the foreign aid that's coming to Ukraine. I want to ask him about some you know district specific issues, obviously like the Cape Cod Bridge and why the the funding they couldn't secure the uh, the the funding uh, to replace those bridges that desperately need replacing, um, and uh, you know more or less just uh, the goings on in Congress in the uh, in the early days. Um, you know, do you have any suggestions? Now, one caller to a morning program said that uh, replacing the bridges wouldn't meet people's expectation because on the other side of the bridge is the remaining traffic congestion and traffic jams, and you'd spend a lot of money on the bridges hoping for better results, but you wouldn't get them because it's a natural traffic jam on the other side. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask the congressman about that. I'm assuming the bridges that they would uh, replace them with would have, uh, you know, would be a, a lot bigger. I don't know if there'd yeah, be any... Yeah, but it won't make any difference if right. on the other side, it's all the small roads anyway that clog up. Yeah, because Route 6, I mean, for, you know, for people who may not know, I don't know how you wouldn't, but if you cross the Bourne Bridge, you basically got that narrow highway on Route 28. You got 6A and you got some of the back roads on that rotary. But if you go to, if you go over the Sagamore Bridge, you've got Route 6, which is the highway that goes all the way to p-town but it's it's it is it's a two-lane highway right and i and i i, I do um 
I do sort of uh, agree with that. I don't know how I don't know how they're going to expand on that at all. I don't know if that's part of the uh, a prob, uh, the equation, but we can certainly ask it's, the congressman. It's not quite a bridge to nowhere, but it reminds me a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah. It is, right. it is. Thank just, you, uh, Marcus. Keep up the good job. We'll be listening. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. Yes, Marcus. How are we doing? Tonight? Good. How are you? Oh, okay. I was listening to, uh, watching actually, talking politics with Adam Riley on mm-hmm. Friday, and they mentioned that one of the things that they were trying to get up in Boston, okay, was uh, a redoing. I'm not so familiar with that area of the Alston Highway. Is that sound any? Uh, Alston, yeah, I know there were some issues with development in Alston. Alston's a neighborhood in Boston for yeah. people who don't know. Um, a lot of younger people live in uh, yeah. Alston. I had a friend in Alston. We used to we used to hang out there yeah. all the time. Um, uh, Alston, I've heard, you know, just like picking up some fragments of stuff I've read in the Globe yeah. over the well, years. Well, they seem to feel that that was more important than uh, the bridges to the Cape. You know, so, you know, we're, we're in Could sort be. of like a state battle for this in a sense. And usually things go to Boston's way. But I'm glad you're going to ask uh, Representative Keating about that. I don't blame him entirely. No. Okay. But the whole Massachusetts delegation, to me, was distant this whole thing. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the things they mentioned, you know, was, do you think if Tip O'Neill was around, we would have got something? If you remember, I don't, I don't know if you can remember this, but they had the uh, big dig. And yeah, I of course it, I remember. I used yeah. to call it. Well, I, I know about age, you know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And uh, I used to call it the big pig, but, yeah. uh, because it was a jobs program basically. Yeah. And they said that the uh, the the uh, bridge was denied because of design flaws. Now, yeah. do you think that Tip O'Neill would, had design flaws with the big dig? I'm yeah. sure they had plenty. <laughs> yes, okay? of course. So that you know, to me, that's uh, that's not an answer. I, I really think the Democrats in this, the whole delegation, was dissed on this. That with all this money out there, up the money to to, to to change these bridges, you know, the, the, this is uh, regardless of what it empties out to, yeah. it, it's a safety issue. You know. Well, when I saw uh, I saw Elizabeth Warren talking about this a week or two ago um, with uh, John Keller, and what she was saying is. It was, yeah, They she basically put the blame on the state. She said the state uh, had to make an application that was basically that could pass muster. Um, well, well, again, I'm sure when we had the big dig, which I used to call the big pig, uh, there was a lot of design flaws. That's mm. why there was so much money went into it and tipped it in mind because it was creating jobs up there. Yeah. So to me, that's not really an answer, design flaws. Well, well, well maybe because question. of the projects like the big dig, um, you know, the federal government, the Army Corps of Engineers yeah. are a bit more weary of sort of rubber stamping uh, infrastructure projects that they don't think will, well, you know, as materially improve the infrastructure I, I, as the money that I, we put I in. I just think, you know, and, and I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I just think that's a, a cop-out. Those bridges should be done for safety reasons. They've been I agree. Since 1933. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to wait for? Somebody to get into a head-on collision up there or something like that? To me, the whole delegation of the state should have been on this and you know, and got right to Joe Biden and said, hey, look, we came out for you with money so you could take South Carolina. Yeah. How about, you know, and Joe plays that game. 
my Grampy Joe. He plays that game. Of course you he know, does. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. Of course. That's how, that's how he got to where he was, all yeah, that backslap yeah, and stuff. Exactly. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Gino Raimondo being in the, in the, in the, in, 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 uh, uh, the former mayor of Boston being in his, um, his cabinet, that, that was all because of their support of him uh, throughout yeah. even the tough times. Right. So he understands that. And I, I just think Massachusetts as a democratic state was just cast aside here for no reason. I'm not blaming Keating, okay, individually, but the whole delegation. I would feel that I was really snubbed if I was any. And, of course, then you had the Ways and Means guy out in uh, Western Mass. Yeah, and then uh, you had the Richard Neal. Yeah, the second uh, in charge of the House of Representatives, the lady there. What's her name again? Catherine Clark. Yeah, yeah. Now, you get some big big hitters there. Yeah. And, and they didn't get on top of this? Yeah, not, I mean, maybe they were more good, concerned. I mean, picture. Richard Neal's out there in Springfield. I know he did do a fundraiser with uh, with uh, the congressman in, uh, in in Harwich over the summer, no, but, but he's out there in Springfield, so it might not be something in the front of his head. All, all of this at the Cape would be good for the entire state. I agree. People go out there. 100%. And, and I, just think I go we, out there all the time. Yeah, I, I just think, uh, well, I don't go as much because I'm an old guy. <laughs> but I, I, I've been there. I know what it's like, and it hasn't changed in my lifetime, and it, it was built before my lifetime. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, I'm just saying it's terrible, you know. And uh, well, let me—I don't know if you got time. If you don't, I'll, I'll shut up. You, you can you can call back because I got to take a couple breaks, but I'll, yeah. I have plenty of time in the nine o'clock hour if you okay. want to call back. All right, thank you. Sir. All right, great. Thanks so much. Take care. New Bedford's news talk station, fourteen twenty WBSM. Coastal healing. Spent all day hearing about the news. Now's your chance to react to it. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Call Chris and Marcus now at 508-996-0500. Or send a text via app chat on the WBSM app. Now, back to South Coast tonight. Welcome back to South Coast tonight. Yeah, so Congressman Keating, he's going to call in tonight or sometime this week, I think. Or sometime soon, I should say. When I was talking to his press secretary, he said, yeah, hopefully he can call in tonight. He's... You know, flew into D.C. He's got Congress stuff to do. And um, if he has the time tonight, he can. If not, he will be on soon. So we'll be able to ask him those questions just to let you guys know. I'm hope you know, we're hoping he calls in tonight. If he can't make it, we'll talk to him soon. Um, so uh, just to just to clarify that a little bit. But, yeah, when I, I heard um, uh, Senator Warren talk about that uh, with uh, John Keller a couple weeks ago, where she was basically saying the state didn't um, make an application that uh, that passed muster um, for it was basically I think they were looking for a billion dollars, a billion dollars in funding. Yeah, it is an important infrastructure project, I think, for the state, because there are a lot of people that do commute to the Cape in the summer. Obviously, I go there all the time in the summer. I usually take a vacation there um, once a year. I got friends that live in the Cape, so I go there quite a bit. Um and there's a lot of people that still, like work on the Cape too, you know, that have to go on and off Cape that work on the Cape or work, or live on the Cape and work off Cape. So it definitely is an important infrastructure project for the whole state because, you know, all that commuting people need to get to work on time and all of that. That's all really important. So, um, you know, it's not the end of the line for the, uh, the replacement of the bridge, but it was definitely a snag. So, uh, 508-996-0500. The WBSM app is every kiss, um, uh, Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can enjoy me. Uh, how you can how you can join and enjoy enjoy join. How you can join me this evening? Bam! I said it. I said it. Sorry. Um, so yeah, we'll um we'll talk to him. Uh, uh, we'll talk to Congressman Keating about that uh, if he can join me tonight or sometime this week, and uh, we'll we'll talk about a, a, a lot of other issues in the next hour. 
Um, again, I'm you know uploading the podcast for for um, that my interview with Rep Hendricks uh, for his bill to expand Medicaid coverage to include uh, violence prevention services for victims of violent crimes to better ensure that um, they don't uh, that they are not you know reinserted into a, um, a habits that. Um, will lead them to be another victim, to be a victim of another violent crime, or to perpetrate a um, a violent crime. So, really interesting stuff. I'm up, upload that podcast now. But I'm here with you until nine. We're in, we're taking your calls at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. We're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Open phone lines for the nine o'clock uh, hour this evening. So, looking forward for you guys um, to um, looking forward to you guys joining me. And uh, we'll we'll be having that discussion. It'll be um, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun time. We'll we'll all have fun. So stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side of the nine o'clock hour. All right. <laughs>